Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, an enterprise strategist for AWS. This week, I sit down with Ron Huckster, the VP and CIO of Kaihai. Listen in as he talks about Kaihai's migration to the cloud and the surprising benefits they observed along the way. All right, Ron, thanks for coming on the podcast. Can you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Ron Huckster. I'm currently the CIO for an organization called Kaihai, which is the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Um, I've been with Kaihai for coming up to three years. Before that, I was a CIO in the province of Ontario. Um, before that, I was actually a geophysicist, so uh, had a massive career change before I joined the government. Uh, and uh, been involved uh, in IT in various ways since uh, the Heath kits and uh, actually the, the computers, the PCs you would buy at Radio Shack that you'd build yourself. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a long it's been a long road. <laughs> Sounds like we might have uh, similar backgrounds. I remember those, um, but I did read on your profile that uh, you were a gold prospector at one point. Yeah, that's the geophysicist part. So gotcha. Uh, so uh, University of Toronto alumni uh, and spent some time. <laughs> I'll never forget. Spent some time uh, prospecting, uh, standing in a swamp up to our neck in swamp juice. <laughs> there was like six or six or seven of us and. Seven of them had uh, had PhDs. So at which point I turned around, and I said, "Yeah, this isn't exactly for me." Nice. Um, so you're currently with the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that organization and your role there? Sure. So Kaihai is in a unique situation in, in, in Canada. It's kind of a well, it is a not for profit that does pan Canadian uh, analytics, uh, collection of healthcare data. And what it does is it measures the effectiveness of the healthcare program in Canada. So in Canada, we are actually um, mandated federally, but the provinces and the territories actually run the healthcare system. So we do a ton of data collection, data manipulation, analytics to do comparative data and to do performance indicators in the healthcare system. So the various jurisdictions can actually use that information for policy development and make decisions about how to improve the healthcare system. So everything as simple as uh, wait times and how they differentiate across the country and how different policies affect those, all the way to the efficacy of, 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 of cancer treatments and uh, suicide, uh, all kinds of different things. So Kaihai produces a, a lot of indicators and reports and comparative data for the purposes of figuring out how to make the healthcare system work better. Oh, that's great. So I understand in 2019, your organization made the decision to go all in on the cloud. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and how that decision was made? Yes, we, we were trying to figure out how we could um, take our operations and make them more efficient and make them more responsive to some of the, the business drivers inside the organization. So we're in a situation where we've been collecting data uh, across Canada from all the jurisdictions, from all the healthcare partners, all our stakeholders for about 25 years. That's a large set of data. That's a large collection process. Uh, we do quality control on it and we do a whole bunch of, of analytics on it. We were getting to the point where um, using our own data centers became a bit of an issue uh, from a responsiveness perspective. So the mission was to try and take the IT part of the business out of the critical path of the business, developing new ways of collecting data, new ways of processing it, new ways of dealing with it. Um, we have um, a lot of folks um, 
who use our data for research purposes. So we had to figure out different ways of getting them the data in a secure fashion. And, 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 and uh, we have a huge job in trying to maintain our stakeholder data sharing agreements and the agreements we have with all our partners because it's healthcare data. It's very important data. Uh, privacy and security is utmost. And it's kind of like job one inside of Kai High's IT area. In order to do this, uh, properly, uh, we looked at the prospects of going to the cloud. So we actually developed a cloud strategy for the organization. So it was a bifurcated strategy. We took all of our office um, automation stuff and we, we put that into software as a service out of a, a provider. And we moved all of our business data and our business applications into AWS. Now we can collect massive amounts of data quickly. We can process massive amounts of data quickly. We can do all the things that the cloud offers uh, as far as getting IT out of the critical path of any kind of business pivot we want to make. So, for example, when COVID hit, we were in a situation where we had to react quickly to our stakeholders and some of the needs they had. Uh, we had to stand up environments around our advanced analytics group. If we had done that in a non-prem situation, it would have taken us months and months and months to buy the equipment to get it uh, installed, to get it evergreen, to get it secure, to get the data on it, to get all that kind of stuff. Um, if you could actually find the equipment uh, during COVID, because right now you can't find a PC or a piece of iron uh, to, to, you know, to, to use because it's just so much in demand. We could, we could turn around and deploy that environment and get it working and have it stand up in two weeks' time. Right? We could never do that kind of... of uh, of preparation and delivery of that of those environments, um, you know, on-prem it just was not possible. So it gave us a great deal of flexibility, a great deal of uh, uh, responsiveness to to the business drivers, and being in a in a research type organization, people love to play with ideas and people love to experiment with AI and they love to experiment with different tools. We can now stand environments up as playpens, as sandboxes and have people play and learn and then throw it away and it doesn't cost us anything. So there's no sunk cost in that whole evolution and prototyping. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, and this is something just about every customer I talk to who's, who's has some workloads in the cloud, they, they tell kind of the same story of kind of taking IT out of the, removing it as a bottleneck and um, replacing it more of as an enabler for the business. But I'm curious, you know, another thing that I I've noticed with customers is that um, sometimes in the beginning of their transformation, there's resistance or, or pushback or hesitation. Did you have any of that in your organization? And if so, you know, how did you address it and, and how, how did you overcome that? So, well, there, there's two parts to that. There's the, the internal IT team we have, and then there's the actual business areas and stakeholders uh, in the company. So the promise of that kind of flexibility for the business was enough to have the business folks, um, like the analysts and, and the researchers and folks, believe that the cloud would be a better environment for which them to operate in. Our biggest resistance came from the inside the IT group about how you change our entire technology platform. How does that impact them? How are they going to learn new job skills? How is it going to be done? And it opens up the whole change management aspect, uh, and which introduces the whole human nature part of, you know, how is this going to affect me and how, you know, what's this going to mean in the end? So we spent a great deal of time at the start uh, doing a bit of uh, culture 
change management to try and help staff realize stuff. But in the end, what really convinced them was we invested in them in the sense that we were going to make this move ourselves. We were not going to hire uh, a SWAT team from a a high-end IT company to come in and move everybody to the cloud, disappear six months later, and then have our staff sitting there in a vacuum not knowing what's going on. So we had a decision to make about using internal staff and we trained them from day one. They created the cloud future for the company, right? So in the end, when we got things up and running, they owned and operated everything and they knew exactly what to do, right? So a couple of uh, <clears throat> a couple of pieces around that. Yep. As we mentioned, because we deal with uh, health data, the security and the privacy aspects are really, really important. We could not sacrifice that or we could not risk uh, that by giving it to an external company to move our stuff into the cloud. So we wanted to kind of impart uh, all of our practices, all of our policies, all of our behaviors of our security management process right now into the cloud. So the only way of really doing that for sure is have the staff do it. Like So whatever they're doing on-prem, they're doing in the cloud now. Yep. Right? That's really, really important. It, it helped us uh, take care of the maintenance uh, of our ongoing processes. Evidenced by that is, I think about a month after we moved into the cloud, uh, we recertified under ISO 27001 as an organization. So that was quite impressive. And it was only doable because the staff mm-hmm. did all the work to move us to the cloud. They understood everything. So when the auditors came in, um, everything worked out really well. Yeah, no, that's a great story. You know, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, my journey to the cloud. Uh, when I was a customer, I took a very similar approach. And um, I think this is really important. So I might want to dig a little deeper into this because I think this is a, it's a, it's a really proven successful way to, to actually get to the cloud, relying on your own staff, the people who, you know, know your systems, they know your organization. And if you just layer on these cloud skills on top of that, um, you know, you can, you can move to the cloud very rapidly and very successfully versus trying to bring new people in who may be perceived as a threat, um, who need to kind of learn what your systems are like and what your organization is like. I find that that might be a, a, a longer way, a longer path to the cloud. And not to mention the fact that it tends to boost morale when you're investing in your own team and they're becoming more valuable over time. So you kind of get, it's a win-win, right? So you get moved to the cloud more quickly and more inexpensively, and you also get to retain your staff and mo- keep the morale high. And, you know, the question that I get asked a lot is, okay, if I invest in my team, how am I going to retain them? But I think, you know, the question kind of answers itself because if they know that you're going to continually invest in them and they're getting more valuable uh, as they, you know, continue on this journey with you, they tend to want to uh, be loyal and stay with you. So it sounds like that was the case uh, for you. I'd like to hear a little bit more, if you don't mind, like, how did you accomplish this? How did you get through those first few steps with them where it was maybe seemingly a threat or maybe there wasn't a lot of confidence that they could do it? Yeah. So the approach is probably as important as the, as the, uh, as the strategy. So, um, we wanted to make sure that people had the ability to learn, uh, had the ability to make mistakes and goof up, and which is what you're going to do, right? You, you you can textbook learn, you can you can seminar learn, but actually doing it is is probably the best way. So we structured the migration uh, through a series of environments. So the first environment that was moved over was our uh, development environment. So. Our development environment is not mission critical. So when we moved 
our development environment over, yeah, there was a couple of a couple of issues, a couple of bangs, a couple of broken things happened, and we fixed them, mm-hmm. right? And we learned from them, and then people got a little bit more confidence. Then we went into our UAT environment, and then moved the UNT environment, then our pre-prod environment. So when it came time to the production environment, it was kind of like the three dress rehearsals before that, uh, and, and the, the mission critical part of it uh, was the production environment. That actually went over like a switch being turned on. Right. Right. Because we had staged it through those progressive lessons learned through all of those other environments. At times it was somewhat scary, somewhat funny, right? but always fun. Right. We always made sure we had fun with the whole deal. Uh, and that's really what kept staff on. Now the secret staff, the secret sauce about going forward is when you migrate to the cloud, that's only half the work. Uh-huh. Right. We decided to take a lift and shift approach because we didn't want to maintain dual environments very long because it's too costly. We had, we had, because we're a not for profit, we had uh, guardrails up around how much money we had to do this. So we had to actually move to the cloud and maintain similar or less cost doing it. So the, the issue there was um, managing it through a whole total cost of operation process, uh-huh. but trying to do it as fast as possible. So we did a lift and shift. We lifted everything we could. There was a few bit of low-hanging fruit where we did things a little different to make it more operational. But now that we're in the cloud, folks are learning about the amazing opportunities inside the cloud technology envelope, things you could never imagine before. Imagine running databases in a stateless right. version. Like, like So the, the learning potential and the technology intrigue is so massive that we haven't lost any staff. Right, because now I've tasked them with, okay, we're in there, we've got stuff to do, let's do it twenty percent faster and twenty percent cheaper. Right. So let's see how we do that, right? Um, AWS is coming out in the marketplace with all kinds of tools, all kinds of training. So it's it's literally like they're they're just they're addicted. <laughs> they're addicted <laughs> to the learning profile. Yeah. Right. And it's a place if you make a mistake you erase it. So there's no evidence. <laughs> Absolutely. That's <laughs> like, it. Yeah. No, I mean, you're hitting on all the points, you know, you're sounding a lot like me actually, because <laughs> these are, this is what I preach. Go fast, have constraints. Uh, don't leave anything open-ended. You got to have deadlines and budget constraints and all of that. Invest in your own team and, you know, have that carrot always in front of them, like that next thing to learn, that next challenge. Right. Yeah. Um, and as long as you keep them motivated and they're continually learning and having fun, um, you'll continue to be successful and they'll continue to be productive. So I think you're hitting on all of the best practices that I like to uh, instill uh, when, when I'm advising customers. Yeah, it's that typical, it's that typical triangle, right? Cost, time, and quality. So we, mm-hmm. we let the time part slip until it was the natural fit. Right. Right. So because, because of our situation as a not-for-profit, there was, cost was a major guardrail. Because of our security and privacy requirements around the healthcare, quality was a major guardrail. So we let the time kind of be not the most important part of that aspect. But as it turns out, the quicker folks learned and the more they did, the faster they got. So we actually did things faster than we thought we would. Right. Yeah. And there's a compounding effect as well, right? The more they learn, the faster they can go. And then it just uh, keeps kind of feeding into itself. Yeah. So the faster you go really the less risk there is. And typically the less uh, expensive your migration is going to be. And so it's, I think, uh, a good strategy to aim high. Um, and, and also 
to have those constraints, specifically those budget constraints, t- tend to correlate very strongly with success. Um, you know, it's, it's a little counterintuitive. People think the more money you have, uh, the better job you can do. But in this case, um, having that constraint for some reason tends to cause people to be more successful. So it sounds like you're not an exception. So I can give you a, a funny story about that and a kind of a shout out to your Canadian customers. So we based everything on a total cost of operation. So we, we benchmarked our existing data, our on-prem data center costs down to the penny, and we had a target to meet. Uh, and then we had a budget reduction target to meet. So we, we kind of met that. But <laughs> halfway through that journey, um, everything kind of looked a little strange until one day at a meeting, we realized that this was all U.S. dollars, not Canadian dollars. So that meant overnight, our, we had to get 30% better <laughs> and more efficient in order <laughs> for the budget to actually meet. I'll never forget that day. We just sat in a room and it was like, oh dear, right? <laughs> So we made a mistake, you know, suck it up, let's move on. And, but it shows the tenacity. And once they start, once they start gaining momentum, the team can really start to produce. So we actually, we actually mm-hmm. fixed that issue and came up with a lot, a lot better uh, end results. And we did meet our targets for budget. Right. Now you were in a great position to do that because you had invested in them. You had given them training, you had given them hands-on experience, opportunities to learn. Uh, you moved kind of the less business critical workloads first so they could experiment without high consequences, kind of lowering the cost of failure. Um, and then when you found yourself in that situation, you didn't have this moment where you had to scramble and find resources and people who could do this for you. You were actually able to do it yourself with your own staff. So I think that just kind of proves how important you know invest- investing in your team is. You never know when you're going to need them. Yeah, well, the project itself took just over around two and a half years. Uh, we had 30 dedicated folks with maybe another 30 that were kind of contributing depending on architecture or security or types like that kind of stuff. We only ever used two or three consultants as as augmenting support for knowledge gaps, right? So that was very important to bring in those folks, uh, but it was it was literally you know, three or four or five percent of the project. It was it was relatively nothing. Yeah, that's impressive. I could talk about this all day, but I really want to ask you about something you talked about earlier. You uh, were talking about how important data security is to your organization. Um, I'm curious to know what were the benefits that you got um, in terms of security um, and compliance and all of those things uh, by my moving to the cloud. Yeah, this is a really really important issue for the healthcare sector. So. One of the reasons that we engaged AWS in the way we did, which was infrastructure as a service instead of platform as a service, was that we could map our existing on-prem data programs or security programs or security compliance or privacy programs into the same way we were doing it on-prem, but using Amazon infrastructure. Right. So we need, we really needed them. We really needed to make sure that we had tight control of that. So we chose I the infrastructure as a service as a way of doing it. So because we, we, we used AWS in an infrastructure as a service mode, we controlled all the processes, the, the upgrades and all the, all, all the pieces around that where we saw a substantial improvement was in our infrastructure access. So we've done, because of our ISO certification, we've done many audits, annual audits. And the the part that was the most uh, vulnerable was our on-prem data site access, right? So 
when we moved to the cloud in Amazon, we moved into the data center just outside of Montreal with a location to be named later, <laughs> secret. Um, we removed our lowest or our, our weakest component of our security profile, which was the physical security and people getting into our data centers. Um, we don't have uh, air coolers, plumbers, uh, electricians, maintenance people, the odd staff who wants to go for a coffee. We have none of that access into our data centers anymore. It doesn't exist. So we actually removed an entire layer, the weakest layer of our whole security profile by actually moving into the cloud with AWS. Yeah. You know, it's funny you're talking about the coffee breaks. It reminds me of a uh, previous life many, many years ago. Um, I used to um, uh, design and build data centers, uh, oddly enough. And I remember we had one. It was an extremely secure facility. Uh, it, 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 I'm not going to name the facility because of what I'm about to say, but it used to be used uh, to store um, uh, cash reserves for, for a major bank. And it was turned into data center. It was three levels underground. And there was like two or three layers of security, like where you had to swipe your card, go through a turnstile and all of that kind of stuff to get there. Uh, turns out that the data center operators were taking smoke breaks um, by uh, going out the emergency exit. So this was, although it was three levels underground, it was on a hill. And so they were able to go out on an emergency exit and it was right there on the street and they would just keep that door unlocked so it, they wouldn't lock themselves out and have to go through security again. So there's always those kind of um, security, you know, risks that you don't know about in your data center. Um, and you might be surprised to find um, must make it easier to sleep at night, not having to worry about that anymore. Well, it, it is. So any kind of accurate measurement and monitoring of the whole end operation shows those type of security weaknesses, right? So uh, it, it was it was the biggest part of moving to AWS, which which supported that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're using data analytics uh, within your organization to, to help your customers? Okay, so the whole uh, data analytics, uh, advanced analytics, um, and the, the manipulation of the data is one of the core uh, pillars of Kaihai. I mean, that's what we do. So every piece of health information we get, we try to extract every ounce of information out of that to show how the healthcare system is performing. So we have an entire groups of folks, um, hundreds of people who do analytics, do advanced analytics, who are starting to move into machine learning, to try starting to move into AI in order to help that out. So as you may know, uh, doing that with traditional relational databases is problematic. When you when you collect data and you store it in a relational database from technology from the 70s, you actually impart a relationship and an explicit meaning to that data that then biases everything you do from an analytical perspective going forward. If you start utilizing things like data lakes and the ability just to capture the data as an event, you can then open to explore what relationships there may be that may not be apparent, right? So you're giving the data scientist, you're giving the analyst the ability to discover those relationships without it having been filtered through a information architect or a DBA, putting it into a relational model already. So it's really important to free up the data in that sense. So we're just starting to play there right now. We have an advanced analytics group. 
uh, they have made some tremendous inroads uh, with helping support the COVID program uh, out of out of the federal government. Uh, but that's that's where we're going. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to get the IT out of the critical path of the business development. Hmm. Yeah, and so you are a leader in the health uh, information uh, industry. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you were able to respond quickly when COVID hit. Well, so there's a couple of points. Um, one of shameless self-promotion is we managed to uh, go from a four office locations. So we have office locations in Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, and Victoria. And then we moved the entire uh, organization, the entire company to work from home in less than a week. So we've actually been out of the office since March of last year. We just haven't been there. Like there's nobody. There's 750 people that haven't been to the office. Uh, we actually moved into the cloud during COVID, right? So we we got rid of our data centers with nobody in the data center. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind, kind of cool. So uh, we had the ability uh, through a whole bunch of um, of the office automation processes, but we also have it now because we can start maneuvering workloads and and applications around. We've we've taken um, our cloud footprint and started to express it through an application portfolio management process. Right. So now we have uh, an ability for staff to do any anything they could do in the office, they can do at home. Yeah. Right, because we witnessed by the fact that we've actually been out of the office for twelve months, mm-hmm. well, c- coming coming up in March. So, um, that's Kai High operating as a business entity. How we helped respond to the COVID response for our stakeholders. So, our stakeholders being the federal government, all the uh, the provinces, the uh, the territories. So that's that's Kai High from a from a business operations perspective, how we can help support the stakeholders, our federal, provincial, and territorial partners is in the response of pivoting on our advanced analytics group, pivoting on the work around the analysts doing the indicator and the the comparative data piece to actually answering data around COVID and some of the questions folks are having, right? So what is the impact on our work uh, force in the healthcare sector on the response to COVID. Where are the needs? What what, what skill sets do we need? Nurses, doctors, uh, PSWs, all that kind of stuff. So there's that. There's the issue about um, what kind of protocols work best for the containment. So Kaihai actually posts a whole bunch of COVID response stuff to help our partners build the policies and the response processes they had to the actual event. And that all happened in a, in, in a matter of weeks, if not a, a few months. So it did mean some of the normal business kind of lay in the quarter for a while. And now we're trying to catch up to all that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's impressive. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, you were able to go all in uh, to the cloud. You were able to um, do it very rapidly and, and, and save money in the process, um, improve your security posture, and also kind of open up these new uh, analytics possibilities. Uh, what's next? For, for you and your organization? Like I said before, we're, the migration to the cloud is probably about half of the work. Now we're in the land of optimization and uh, making things work a lot better for our business uh, folks in Kaihai. So, for example, <clears throat> we had two data centers, one in Toronto and one in Ottawa. We had a full business continuity plan and a disaster recovery plan. 
which involved failovers and testings and the usual stuff you do. Now it's almost a button. Our entire BCP and our entire disaster recovery is like, okay, go home and use your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, it, it has provided a, a flexibility to do our business any place, any time. Uh, but it's gotten rid of all those other things we had to worry about from an operations perspective, right? It's gotten the ability to actually start looking at some of the cost drivers, like uh, differentiating storage. So on an on-prem data center, we have tons and tons of data all sitting on hot disk, all sitting at high availability. Now we're going through the process of delineating them into different storage types. So we have glacial storage. We have all kinds of storage and it just drops the cost of the operations. It's almost like every time we go to look at something, we can make it more efficient, take the money out of the IT investment and plow it back into the business side. Yeah, smart. So we've covered a lot here, but I want to give you an opportunity before we close. Is there anything we haven't covered? Um, any lessons learned? Um, that you can kind of share with our audience who may be at the beginning stages of their cloud journey? Yeah. So, well, the one, the one thing I found fascinating was when we started this and we made a decision to lift and shift and we started working on the environments as part of the learning and growing process, we still had new business to do. We still had a couple of new applications to build. We still had new data sets to collect. So we decided to actually do that in the cloud. So we actually built and deployed business applications in the cloud before we migrated our data centers to the cloud, right? So that, when, the, when the migration was done, everything was in the cloud. So it's really, really important to try and shut down double environments as much as possible. And the only way of doing that is actually biting the bullet and start to build new inside the cloud while you're doing the migration. We did that by a couple of, I call them innovations or, or approaches. One of them is we establish a cloud center of excellence to actually have everything go through an enterprise architecture perspective to land into a common zone or landing zone, landing architecture uh, inside the cloud so we could actually manage our accounts and our costs. So there was a enterprise architecture review board function set up for a cloud. Because the other thing we have is developers and infrastructure folks who love to play. And if you play in the cloud and you're not monitored, you can get a little pricey because <laughs> you can leave stuff running and, and do all kinds of amazing and weird things. So that that was that was kind of the, the to try and uh, help people focus on uh, the migration piece and building stuff into the cloud under one architecture. The second one is probably the most persistent one and is going to be the future of an IT function inside of Kaihai, and that's our cloud business office. So we decided quite early that we will not have uh, multiple accounts, multiple relationships inside the organization with AWS. We have a manager of the cloud business office. He's the person that holds all the contracts, all the enterprise support agreements, manages all of uh, the, the huge offerings that AWS has, AWS has for um, cost efficiencies and new programs and training and all that kind of stuff. So we actually want our developers, our infrastructure, and our security folks playing with the technology, but not doing the business of managing the technology operations. So that, that, that 
Pacific folks is highly technically competent, but they're equally business savvy. They're the ones that make sure that you guys don't, you know, double dip us for bills on the month or sneak something else in there on like so they manage the relationship uh, they 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 work closely with the tam and they do all that kind of stuff so that's terribly terribly important otherwise you're going to get sprawl in the cloud and that's really really hard to correct once it's set up yeah uh, i agree completely you know i always frame that as kind of um be intentional about your governance and uh don't forget it but uh, exactly the same lesson and i couldn't agree more well, Ron, you know, I, this was a really enjoyable uh, podcast, real enjoyable interview, and uh, I really look forward to that, that Kaihai case study uh, that we're doing. I think our customers or other customers that are going through this can learn a lot from, from you and uh, your team and uh, how you did this. So I want to thank you again for being on the podcast, and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing that case study. Well, no, thank you very much. It's been, been great. <laughs>